two things do we get in justification? Pardon of our sins. That's one. What else? What's the one we all forget? Imputed righteousness. What's that mean? Okay. Um, do we earn it? How do we get it? By faith alone. Yeah. So we get. And what righteousness do we get? Jesus. Jesus' righteousness. When? At salvation. Yes, at, at oh, our salvation. His righteousness during his life. His righteousness during his life. When he was living life on earth as a man, as we were supposed to do, we get that credited to us. So we become like, like Adam who doesn't sin and able to eat the tree of life. Because Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Jesus says in, in Matthew 25, when the king returns, he uses that term king, returns with all his mighty angels with him, he will separate the sheep from the goats, and he says the righteous will get eternal life. And so we don't need, if we're just forgiven, that's not good enough, right? We're at the, here's, here's neutral, here's sin, here's forgiveness, but Jesus says righteous, and that is positively doing what? Righteousness? Faithful to the covenant. Faithful to the covenant. Okay? And so we, Jesus says those who are faithful to the covenant in this positive direction, not just neutral, in this positive direction. And so we get this in justification. We get both. So we're down here. We get pardoned for our sins, getting us up to the neutral point. And then we get the righteousness of Christ, a life, a human life lived as we were supposed to live it so that we could stay in the garden and eat from the tree of life and live forever. Okay. All right. Good. Um, let's sing sanctification now. Okay, we're just going to have to start in this one. <laughs> Sanctification is the one from God's grace, whereby we are renewed in the moment and through the end of the and are enabled more and more to die of the sin and live of the righteousness. So, how does sanctification differ from justification? It's a work, yeah. So, what do we mean? What was justification? An act. An act. So, justification is something that happens, boom, at a particular point in time. And what's that particular point in time? What has just happened that made justification happen? Regeneration. Okay, and when we get spiritual regeneration, what happens? Faith. Faith. Yeah, justified by faith. And we can't, uh, we won't believe unless we're regenerated. So you've got the cause there, right? We never turn, no one turns to Christ apart from regeneration because they're blind. They first they need eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand before they can have uh, faith. Um, 
So, um, as Paul says in Philippians 1.29, um, faith was granted to us, but it, it is our faith, and it's granted to us by God. Um, we say it in, in the sense that uh, without, without his acting upon us first and initiating with us in regeneration, giving us new life, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3.3. 3. So, so this is an order thing. It's an order of events. Unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. He hears Jesus saying, hear the good news, the kingdom of God is at hand, and he doesn't get it. Um, and so, um, yeah, so, so uh, we're regenerated, and, and having been regenerated, it's like, you know, the, the, uh, the illustration, you know, I like when you haven't eaten anything for 30 days or had anything to drink, you've been out in the desert, and uh, then someone sets before you, um, water and a buffet, but you're blind and you can't smell and you can't hear somebody saying, hey, there's food in front of you and you can't see it. You can't hear it. And so you don't respond. You can't smell it. You don't know there's food. You don't know there are drinks in front of you. But as soon as God gives you eyes to see, you go, this is what I need. This is what I haven't had for 30 days. And everybody who's been starving for 30 days in the desert goes forward and takes the drink and takes the food. That's irresistible grace. But irresistible grace, that it's not irresistible until you can see it's there. <laughs> so you have to be born again um, so that you can see the kingdom of God, so you can see the buffet. Um, and then once you do, which is something Jesus says then a couple in a couple of verses, John 3, 5 through 8, it's the Spirit blowing upon people. Um, that, that brings this sight and you don't know who it's going to blow upon. little quick thing for you, you bonus for Sunday school goers. One of the things John is showing to his audience, who's John writing to in the Gospel of John? Test. Jews. Jews. In 90 AD. In 90 AD, good. That's two of the three things I want you to get. You know the other one, you just, I'm just... Okay, good, in Asia Minor. That's a bonus point there. What kind of Jews? Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians, yes, and yes, both. But Jewish Christians. And so they need to, what, one of the things John is doing is showing these Jewish Christians why 85% of their brothers and sisters have not believed. And so through the Gospel of John, you see the point made over and over, slammed into you through the Gospel of John. Here's why they didn't believe. It wasn't because there was an absence of miracles. They saw the miracles and they said, crucify him. And so when he has this, it, when he has this um, conversation with Nicodemus, it's explaining the reason John brings this out. No other Gospel writer brings this out. It's because John, one of his purposes is, is to purposes is, is to show Jewish Christians why they're among 15% of Jews who have believed when really 100% of Jews should believe. He fulfills everything. Um, and so John is showing, without a doubt, that Christ is Jesus. Don't keep looking. Don't look for another Christ. The Christ is Jesus. I'm going to prove that to you 
through seven miracles, seven major miracles, and throughout this whole throughout this whole book. But he's also showing them why eighty for eighty five percent of Jews in the first century have not believed. And he's making the point: Jesus has life in Himself, and He gives it to whomever He wishes. And unless Jesus gives somebody life, they don't believe. And Jesus only gives life to, John 6, he only gives life to, boy, you guys are getting a whole bunch of bonus stuff so you can understand the sermons better when they come to you. He only gives life to those the Father has given him and, and draws to him. Okay. Um, so there, there we go. Um, so sanctification um, is the uh, work of God's free grace. And you see it's a, an ongoing work in that it, it describes what's going on in, in uh, lines um, two, three, four, and five. <laughs> what are some things that are going on in your life until you see Jesus that we call sanctification? We're renewed. We're renewed. Yeah. Uh, renewed from what? So renew. Who was new? Adam. Okay, so we're we're renewed. We're we're brought back more uh, into into what? What's it say here? Into what? Image of God. Image of God. So we are marred. Image of God. Images of God. We're damaged. We're um, scarred up, dirty images of God. And sanctification is where God gently, progressively cleans off the dirt so that you can see. Um, that were God-like in our character and our image. It's like when my my uh, when I was in college, my dad took a a, a building. He was he, he bought a building for a new office. It, had, it was an old Victorian house. Had been split into two apartments, and uh, so he had a, a construction crew on. I worked with the construction crew. One of the things they had me do is take this. I don't know what it is. It's not varnish, but it's 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 like varnish remover. It got it down to the bare wood. And, and this had been painted. It was this banister that went up to the second floor. Uh, and it was it was walnut, as it turned out. We didn't know. It was painted black, black latex paint. And, and so we got all this stuff off and we found out, wow, this is this is solid walnut. This this banister going up to the second floor. And that's what God's doing to us in sanctification. Um, he's getting the black paint off <laughs> progressively, and it takes a little while, and he works on the right things at the right time for us. Um, and so uh, that's, that's sanctification, so we're enabled more and more um, to die unto sin. That is, it becomes more habitual for us, and we become more wise to say no to godlessness as Paul says to Titus in Titus 2. Uh, and so as we grow in Christ, we become more frequent in saying no to godlessness, no to uh, temptations, because we say, like James puts in James 1, that makes no sense. That's not my DNA. That's not who I am. I'm going to Europe. Why do I want to, why do I want to follow the sign that says this way to South Africa? Right, that's what temptation is. This way to South Africa, and and in our sin nature, we say, "Ooh, that sounds cool," but we forget that we're going to Europe 
from New York, let's say. We're going to Europe, and in Europe is a great inheritance. We inherit Versailles, okay? But we don't, we don't want to go to South Africa. We're going to get to Europe, and we want to get to Versailles. And so uh, as, we, as we're sanctified, we're enabled more and more to say no to all these distractions of sin and to say yes to, to righteousness and, and to walking in the way of Christ, which is our DNA. It's who we are because we find out we're a descendant of Louis the Fourteenth. Okay. This, yeah. The sanctification process. Uh, I'm trying to think what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Dying unto sin is like where it's less appealing. Yeah. So if you come up to a dead person and you say, "Hey, want to smoke?" What's the dead person say? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, so dead to sin, it's that idea that when a temptation comes up to you, you say, why would I want to do that? You're dead to it. You don't respond to it. Like a dead person doesn't respond to somebody coming up to his casket, you know, that, that you, don't, um, uh, you don't respond toward with temptations. So that's, that's the idea of dead to sin. And we see Paul develop this idea. He talks about mortification of sin in Romans 8. Um, that we're one of the, the um, Paul's engaging in, in Romans 5 through 8 about how the law plus no Holy Spirit equals more sin. Because it just gives us an idea of what we could do. <laughs> Don't do this. Do what? This. Ooh, that sounds good. And we do it. But Paul argued. But Paul makes the case, and this is what is frequently misseen or not seen in Romans. He makes the case that with the Spirit, the law leads to righteousness. It's what Paul calls the law of the Spirit of life. Okay, and so without the Spirit, the law is the Spirit of sin, and or the law is a law of sin and death. Because law without the Spirit makes gives us suggestions of ways to sin, and the wages of sin is death. So the law of sin and death. If you don't have the spirit, if you're not one of God's children, you sin when you see the law and you go on to your eternal death. But if you have the spirit, it's a thing of life. And so Paul calls right in the midst of saying how frustrated you know he, he was with his own self before knowing Christ and then with himself, with his sin nature, he says, but the law is holy and righteous and good. And he says, the fault is not with the law. The fault is with us when we don't have God's spirit. But when we have God's spirit, we say, oh, thank you. I was going to go this way. And you're telling me to go this way. And with God's spirit, we, we stay on to Versailles. And when we go that way, and, and that's righteousness. It's not perfect righteousness, but it's a righteousness. It's, it's a uh, following Christ, like Jesus said, whoever loves me keeps my commandments. And, and we have his spirit, so we love him when we keep his commandments. And so the law to us is um, a loving father instructing us, or in the case of Jesus, a loving king giving us his law, instructing us how to live so we don't hurt ourselves and hurt the people around us. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, all right, so uh, let's uh, let's hit our our uh, lesson again on um, 
bad options, okay, of what, what can be done with the moral law of God. What's the moral law of God? Sure. It's summarized in the Ten Commandments. That's the moral law of God. Uh, what's the summary of the Ten Commandments? Love God and love neighbor. Love God and love neighbor. Yeah. And so how do we split those Ten Commandments into those two? How many in which? One through four. One through four and, and five through five through ten. Um, some people took, Calvin took five and five. He said five is a, most people say five is a transition. Because what's What's five? Yeah, love your parents, honor your parents. And, and so that's, that's, Calvin argued, that's the transition between God, our ultimate authority, and our parents who are the delegated authorities over us that God gives to us in our lives. And then, then six goes on to don't murder and other things with, with everybody. Um, but uh, yeah, four and six. Um, and so the moral law is the stuff in the law of God, and let's just take Exodus through Deuteronomy for the sake of argument. Um, it's, it's the stuff in Exodus through Deuteronomy that deals with how you deal with a person one-to-one. -one. You as a person, how do you deal with the, next, the person next to you? That's the moral law. Um, the ceremonial law, what's that dealing with? Sacrifices. Sacrifices, temple, festival. Okay, so religious practice. That's the ceremonial law, we call it. And then the judicial law is what? Civil. Government, civil law. So things for the nation of Israel as they lived in the promised land. If someone borrows someone else's ox and injures it so that it can't work anymore while he's borrowing it, how do you make up for that? Um, how does the person who was using the ox make up for that to the person? It's restorative justice. So the person who, whose ox was damaged uh, isn't out on that. That's judicial law, stop signs and that kind of thing. Um, so moral law, the commands, is what we're talking about here. And beyond Exodus to Deuteronomy, you've got all these commands in Scripture. Okay, so one, I mean, you get into Joshua and he's giving commands. And judges, command, I mean, every book in Scripture, the Psalms are giving commands. Ecclesiastes giving commands. Um, the prophets are giving, well, they essentially just take the law of Moses and apply it to their day. That's mainly what a prophet is doing. He, he's taking the law of Moses, applying it to his, to his day. And the law of Moses said, and if you get really bad, and if you're not even trying to obey my law, if you're going after other gods, then these covenant curses are going to come upon you. And Matt's been teaching our high schoolers about curses and blessings and so they're real in tune with that right now um and so that the, the prophets what they're doing is they're saying the deuteronomy 28 curses that moses wrote in the law also in leviticus 26 that's where you have the two uh, lists of curses or blessings and curses leviticus 26 and deuteronomy 28 the prophets just say you're not doing this in our day and therefore, you're seeing these curses, aren't you? Here's the way to get out of these curses. Turn back to God. Get rid of these other gods. Worship God alone. Don't defraud your neighbor. 
don't take a don't take care of uh, don't take advantage of poor people in the court because they have no one who will defend them. Don't steal the property of widows. Start obeying the law, and God will return blessing to you. Just test me, you know, and see, you know, uh, oh, taste and see if I'm good. Um, and so that's what prophets are doing. Okay, so now as Christians in the 21st century, we say, what do we do with the law? And we talked about last week that we have two boxes. What are our two boxes? Yeah, we sang these boxes, didn't we? So we got two boxes. Um, what box is that? Yeah, and then we've got another box over here. Okay, uh, where's faith go? Yeah, so let's let's just say save, saving faith. Um, not demonic faith, not Faith Patterson, just saving, saving <laughs> faith. Um, uh, and then, uh, where does law go? Sanctification. Sanctification, yeah. I don't mean to put that there. Uh, okay, law is over here. And this is the, the moral law. So, um, yeah, and this is, and so we have no problem with this because we're saved and we're over it. We got out of that box the day we believed. Okay? And, and what Christians do, even Reformed Presbyterian Christians, even lots of people when I go to Presbyterian meetings are doing, is they're still kind of, they don't know where to put the law. And they're like, well, wait, if I say obey, am I violating justification by faith alone? And we go, oh. <laughs> okay, and you want to get to that place, but you want to deal with them Patiently, um, right, Laura? <laughs> yeah, and we, we, we talk with people about this, and this is where, um, you know, within Presbyterianism, within the PCA, there, there's uh, something called sonship, and I, I divide it into two. There's good sonship, which has two boxes. There's bad sonship, which has one box. And so when you talk about obeying the law, the bad sonship people get really, they're not trying to be bad. They're wonderful people. They really are. Um, when you mention law to them, they get really nervous. And that's very Lutheran. Because Lutheran, think Martin Luther, justification by faith was his thing. And he tied in Roman Catholic pro, um, practices, like go to confession, seven sacraments, uh, monasteries, being a monk, he tied in these things as kind of one and the same with the moral law from the Old Testament. He saw those two things as the same. He didn't realize he was seeing these two things as the same, but he did. And, and in large part, that's where, where bad sonship is. It's where most of evangelicalism is. And to their credit, they are protecting justification. And, and so to a person like that, we say to them, you want to make sure that justification has no works a part of it. And they say, absolutely. And we say, way to go. We're absolutely in agreement with them. It's just, they don't have another, they don't know what to do with the law. They don't know what to do with commands because commands, because they just have one box, commands threatens justification by faith alone. And it does threaten justification by faith alone. That's why we say there's a solution to the rest of the to 96% of the Bible, which is here. Mm -hmm. 
four percent of the Bible is here. Right? I mean, even think of the law of Moses, you know, the, the first five books of the Bible. You know, salvation, they're they're out at Exodus 13, they're gone from Egypt. Okay, so, so it took them from Exodus 1 through Exodus 12. That's justification. Okay, getting out from their wicked slave master Pharaoh and their slavery, in fact. Okay, and our justification is getting out from under our wicked slave master, whom? Satan. Satan um, and our slavery, what kind of slavery were we in? Slavery, slavery to sin. And so we still have a sin nature, but sin, filled in from Paul, is no longer our master. Okay? And so so the, the, the whole Exodus and, and Moses and Pharaoh, that's all a, a lived demonstration in the Old Testament of justification. Okay? How does God justify you? With a mighty hand. Okay? He defeats Satan who held the keys to sin and death. Okay? And grabs the keys from him. We'll see it this morning in our declaration of the gospel, Revelation 1.18. Jesus now holds the keys to sin and death because he rose from the dead. Okay? And then he gives us, he gives us that life. Okay? Does that make sense there? And so law, law comes over here. Um, there we go. For those, those watching at home, there we go. There's our, our uh, law box, our sanctification box. That's where law belongs and then saving faith is over with justification. We don't confuse the two. Um, now, so what do we do with law? Um, there are some bad options. Okay, and so here's, here's, and these options you'll all see and recognize in various, maybe in churches you've been in or in thoughts that you've had because, you know, it's, that's not intuitive. When you came to Christ, you didn't say, there have to be two boxes, one for justification, one for sanctification. <laughs> no one says that. You, it's why there are teachers in the church. People have had, you know, people taught me this. And so I can teach you this. And that's why. God gives teachers to the church so you can learn this because it's going to take a long time. Um, you know, Luther never got it. So Luther's born in 1480, 1480. Calvin's born in 1509. So they've got some crossover. Um, Luther dies in maybe 1835 or sorry, that would be really long. <laughs> 1535 or 1545, something like that. Calvin dies in 1556. Um, so they did have some overlap, but Calvin wasn't a believer until about 1530. Reformation started in 1517 by Luther. Okay, so Luther, if you can imagine, if you can imagine years here. Um, so Luther starts here, 1480. He and Zwingli are both born around here. Uh, Cal Calvin is born... 1509, Reformation, Wittenberg Door, 95 Theses, 1517, um, and then uh, Calvin, maybe maybe around 1528, something like that, becomes a believer. Okay, so Luther comes to faith somewhere right before here, um, and starts, and he's he's working on doctrine 
for you know 11 years before Calvin's a believer. Calvin's still in a French Catholic um, in law school, and and, um, and so Luther's got a head start. But Luther's come out of this. Um, he's come out of this. Uh, Catholicism, and he was a monk. Um, he was a monk here. See, there we go. Um, he was a monk there, and um, and he was so consumed with um, the Catholic um, practices um, that um, he never he never gets to that second box. And so Calvin comes along, and he says. Thank you very much. Think of it this way. He says, thank you very much, Martin Luther. And he was very grateful for Martin Luther. And he was influenced by people who had been influenced by Martin Luther. That's how Calvin came, came to faith. Um, and then Calvin continues on. And what Calvin essentially does is adds the second box for us. And then everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's what they were talking about um, 13 centuries ago in the early church. <laughs> we found it again. Uh, and Calvin quoted early church pastors uh, extensively. Um, and that, that's one of the, thing, the things Calvin was noted for when uh, he would be in, in disputation with Catholics. He would outquote the Catholics at their own forebears. <laughs> he knew that stuff. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, okay. Um, so... Um, bad option number one, no sanctification box. So we'll look at a bunch of options. If you don't have a sanctification box, where might you go? Um, and uh, so we saw this last week, and, and Bob said, well, ooh, if this happens, then you're going to have this probably. So, um, so Teresa, can you read that uh, second bullet for us, the bottom bullet? Include the commands in the justification box. Okay, is that a good idea? No. Uh, what, what would be some things you think might happen if you did that? Well, we fail automatically. Okay, you fail automatically at what? Failing, what's your goal that you failed at? Salvation. Salvation. Okay. So, so if, if uh, law is in the justification box, see you later. Uh, Paul said no one's ever been justified by the law, Galatians 3. Okay? Now, except for Jesus. Um, but he's not talking about Jesus when he says that. Okay, um, so so you failed at salvation. That's one thing that happens if you put the commands in the justification box. Um, what else might happen if you were in a an environment where uh, commands are put in the justification box? Legalism. Legalism. Yeah. And so describe this, describe that, Steve. What 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 kind of things do you see? What do people say? Uh, well, my curiosity is, is the preachers that are always saying that if you don't do this, this, and this, you're probably not saved. Yeah. And so uh, legalism is putting things on people, which are the law. Yeah. As part of their salvation. In other words, you're not saved if you're not doing these. And really, it becomes a way of manipulating people into works. Yeah. Salvation. Yeah. And so... Um, that's, that's so, so common and, and maybe, you know, 50% of you at least have been in environments like that or, or even, you know, if you don't have two boxes, you know, you, you wonder that yourself. You don't need a, a pastor to be legalistic with you. You'll be that way with yourself. Um, and so it's not, it's not consistent. 
um, that you would do that. Essentially, you've said, but there are certain things that are part of your justification that you have to have. Um, now, how might we speak that same way? If you're not doing these things, you may not be saved if we have two boxes. What difference does it make to have a second box, Matthew? Well, if you have one box, doing those things becomes the cause, whereas if you have two boxes... So if you have one... I'm just going to yeah. rephrase that because you're right. Um, if you have one box and law or commands are in the justification box, you're, you're going to... Um, uh, you're saying that part of what gets me to heaven when I die and the new heavens and new earth when Jesus comes back is my obedience to the law. <laughs> Okay, so, so you're driven that way if you've got one box. Okay. And if you have two boxes, and I forget where I was going with this, but have, well, uh, adherence to the, the law becomes the effect. So, yeah. so um, any evidence thereof is evidence that, in fact, you are saved. That's right. So, so with two boxes, you have, you have you know, cause and effect stuff going on. And you say, and so the, the pastor with two boxes can say, um, you know, here's your justification. You are not justified by your works at all. But here are some things that you should be seeing in your life if you have been justified. If the Spirit of God is within you, the Spirit produces fruit. fruit. And so your life is going to be changed. So it's the, it's the looking at the house outside the house on a winter day, and there's a chimney. How do you tell if there's a fire going on inside the house without looking in the windows? Smoke. Smoke. And so with two boxes, you say, if there is the Holy Spirit, if he is in a person, then you're going to see smoke above the chimney. Now, there may, they may be really good at being patient, but not really good right now at honoring their parents. Or vice versa. It's not going to be a perfection, but... There's going to be there are going to be some evidences of the spirit of God at work, or else it's as James said, it's a dead faith and a faith that doesn't save. It's a, a faith of the demons um, there. Okay, so but but in legalism, what happens is this: it's if you don't do this, then you are not saved. So you better do this to be saved. And so what they've turned it into, because there's just one box, is commands for, you know, put your coins in and you get out your M&Ms. You know, you, 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 there are commands for salvation. Yeah, Joyce. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so good Christian and bad Christian. And so depending on what kind of church you're in, they will define what the good Christian and what the bad Christian things are. <laughs> so if you're in a charismatic church, the good Christian things are you're very free in your worship. Um, if you're in a Presbyterian church, the good things are you're very orderly in your worship. <laughs> or, or whatever. Different things will be favored. Um, uh, you know, if you're in an evangelical church, you know, the, the good Christian things will be during the song, you say, yes, Jesus. During the right, during the pauses at the right times, um, but so di different things. Are, yeah, was there another hand, Emily? Um, sorry, Steve. There is such a there's a huge contrast here 
um, when comparing to other world religions. Like the other yeah. day, I had this conversation with someone who practices Hinduism. Yeah. And it was, he was so stuck on the idea of, well, like building up good works in order to do X, Y, Z. Like he brought up an example of, you know, when we're doing schoolwork, the more we study, the better we're going to do on a grade or yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It applies to like every aspect of our world right. lives. Yeah. And so like it's such a contrast yeah. to that. Total so works. Trying to yeah. like explain I don't want to wind up as a flea or a goat, yeah. right? It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just a lot of like, yeah. Memorize this. Yeah. 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 Jim. So, when you say you put a photo away, then what box you throw it away, then you have rewards too. Yeah. So, and you build them up with rewards or That's right. Yeah, so so what was said there, Jim said, you know, when when you don't have the second box with sanctification and commands, then you're throwing out the idea of rewards too, and that's how we got on this subject, Revelation 19, when the the saints come with Jesus from heaven, the dead souls come with Jesus from heaven, and then uh, presumably, depending on the order, it seems like probably there's the resurrect resurrection of the the righteous, the resurrection of Christians. And so we come with Jesus for final battle that it says, you know, what are we wearing? White linen. White linen and what does that represent? The righteous acts of the saints. Of the saints. Yeah. And so um, these things count. And this is why Jesus is talking. You know, you know, this is on his lips. You know, for great is your reward, he says. And so based on what? It's based on a command he's just given or that he's repeating from the Ten Commandments. Great is your reward in heaven, he says. Uh, and so, um, see, this makes sense. We've got to keep the commands. I mean, the commands are through the whole Bible. Again, it's, it's the 95% of what the Bible is. And it's not because God is trying to justify us with 95% of the Bible. He justifies us in 5% of the Bible's contents. And then with 95, these are arbitrary percentages, but my estimations, 95% is teaching his people how to live so that they don't mess up their lives, so that they can live with joy and, and, and confidence and satisfaction in their souls. Okay, yeah, Steve, you had something. Well, so the single box, this is really good for me because of my background, but yeah. the single box um, where everything has been combined. Yeah what I see is done so much damage to the church because it became performance art. Yeah. And that's what really, you know, when I went through my stage of rebellion in my teen years, yeah. it's like, you don't live this outside the church. Yeah. You're doing all these things. Yeah. And it's basically performance art for the people that are there that are judging you supposedly. Yeah. You know, they're keeping an eye on you and they would always use, um, examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith and they're always saying the examination means you're doing this this and this yeah you're going out knocking on doors you're at church on wednesday yeah or prayer meeting on yeah and so there's good examples of depending on your church environment if you're in a church that meets sunday night and wednesday night then those are little tick boxes of things law that's included in there um <laughs> you know but but those same people may be being nasty to their mom and dad or immoral in their dating relationships 
um, all kinds of all kinds of stuff going on. It just depends on what church environment you're in. Or uh, yeah, so yeah, great. Um, next bullet there, Emily. There's only a justification box, and there are commands in Scripture, so you have to put the commands, the law, in the justification box. Okay, so if you have no second box, there are all these commands, and where do you put them? And they typically, unlike our illustration that we saw last week, where the the law keeps bouncing off and can't get, that's the biblical picture. The commands can't get in that sanctification box. If they try, they bounce off. If you've got a biblical understanding um, and your your theology is biblical, that the commands will always bounce off and not get in that justification box. Um, But if there's only a justification box, it frequently winds up inside the, the law, the commands wind up inside justification, even if it's only certain favorite things that we do well so it won't threaten our salvation. Okay, that's recognize that's what happens in any kind of church you're in, from you know Catholic to Episcopalian to Presbyterian to uh, Methodist, Nazarene, Baptist, Charismatic, whatever kind of church environment you're in, each one of those denominational stripes will have certain things that they will say, well, this goes in the justification box. The rest of the stuff doesn't matter. And the stuff that goes in is the stuff they're doing well and they don't have to worry about. Like the Pharisees. Okay, the Pharisees would name things that meant justification um, for them that they were doing anyway. Right? So it's like the person with no... uh, um, homosexual urges. Saying, well, anyone who has a homosexual urge is is obviously not saved. Um, because, you know, like, for me personally, that's just not not attractive at all. You know, and so that would be an easy one for me to put in the justification box because it would never be a threat to me. Right? Or, or if you're excessively afraid of, you know, the, the police, probably theft is going to be something you could put in your justification box because you're never going to steal something because you're afraid of the police. (laughs) Uh, But if you don't like your parents' rules, you're probably not going to put honor your mother and father in the justification box because that one you don't do so well in. Um, So just realize that the Pharisees, as they come to Jesus, they're they're naming the things that that they're doing well in. And they're ignoring the things that they're not doing well in, like taking the gospel to the nations. <laughs> the nations were supposed to stream to Jerusalem. And when somebody came to Jesus and Jesus showed any kind of niceness to them, which he always did, they were mad at Jesus. Yeah, Joyce. And isn't that the idea of binding the conscience where yeah. Yeah, and so the idea of good... Thanks for bringing that up, Joyce. The idea of binding the conscience, or as the, the Westminster Confession has a chapter called Liberty of Conscience. And, and what that is in its essence is when you take something that um, usually properly, in, uh, as they're talking about there, is not in Scripture, like go to church on Wednesday night. Who knows where the command is in Scripture to go to church on Wednesday night? Okay, nobody does because it's not there. So if you take... 
What's that? Yeah. So if you take that and you bring that, go to church on Wednesday night on par with a command that's in scripture, and then you tell somebody, and if you don't, you'll lose your salvation, that's binding the conscience. Or in a, in a kind of a, a soft or derivative sense, if you say, uh, if you make that a command, go to church on Wednesday night. You should be there every week at Wednesday night at church. If you don't, you're not as Christ-like. That's, that's using the second box, but also binding the conscience there. Uh, but in the legalistic sense, it would be tying it to a person's salvation, a command. Um, but as the Westminster Confession talks about, especially a command that's not in Scripture, and they were they were talking about Roman Catholics when they wrote that chapter. You know, so if you tell somebody you have to go to confession, you know, that's binding their conscience because Scripture doesn't say you need to confess your sins to a priest. So if you say you have to, then you're binding their conscience. They're, you're, you're upsetting their conscience over something that is not the law of God in Scripture. Yeah, Jim. And just on the one box, I was thinking, you know, you're throwing away kind of a fundamental, the fundamental piece that you get from Jesus. Yeah. Because you're always questioning, like, I have a back up on that I'm mad. Yeah. And maybe I act that out a little bit. I'm yeah. Like, am I losing my salvation? Right. If I only have two boxes, yeah. that would be, I could get worried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're having, what Jim said there, if you're having a bad week, you're, you're kind of, just kind of irritated and angry with people, not patient with people for like three weeks. If if patience is part of the law, you shall be patient. I mean, you, we are commanded to be patient. Um, then if that's in our justification box, then we start to get worried about am I saved or not? And so the two boxes allows us to have confidence in our salvation and to be gracious, as gracious with ourselves as God is with us. God's not up in heaven having regenerated us and granted us faith. He's not up in heaven saying, boy, he's had a tough three weeks of anger. Maybe he's not saved. I better check my list again of, of you know, the elect people from before the foundation. God's not worried about your salvation. Okay? You shouldn't be worried either um, until your life just goes into a place of gross sin where you say, I know this is Christian stuff and I don't care. Screw it. That's that's when your red flags go up and say, maybe I was in the church for sociological reasons. Maybe I came into the church because when I wasn't a believer, my boyfriend was in the church. And so I came in then and I've always been in since, but it's kind of worn down. Or maybe, you know, I, I was in the church because, you know, um, I... I some, with some, well, you know, people are uh, find a, a group of friends in college in a, a, a campus group, and we've had that in the church. And then they're out of college for ten years, and then they say, "We don't really believe this stuff." Um, and life is hard, and you have kids, and things are busy, and so you just quit coming, uh, and you you realize I was in for sociological reasons. I had good friends in college who were nice to me in my, you know, campus group or in this church, in this college group in my church. And now that that's removed, there's no faith. 
because there was no faith there in the first what was holding me in was the same thing that holds mormons in or or hindus in or islamic people in other things hold people into religions okay um good thoughts good comments there so that's bad option number one um continuing on with bad option number one um here um you say uh this ashley can you read this a second bullet for us Okay, so we've, we've studied some of that, or we've discussed in the last you know, 20 minutes, some of that. Um, so there's this belief, which is a good belief. You get in the justification box, the salvation box, the child of God by faith, but you can get back out of it because you've included commands, law inside it. And so you transgress that, and you're knocked back out. If you include commands inside the justification box, okay? Um, and you should, you know, get a, a, not a laugh, but see the inconsistency by disobeying the law that commands too much. <laughs> see that at the end? Who decides, what too much is? Who decides what too much is, right? And so what you've done at that point is you've redefined the standard of, You've said the gospel is not by grace. The gospel is by me being good enough. And I will draw the line as what's good enough and what's too evil or too bad. Yeah, Bob. When Dr. Stroll said um, nobody deserves a second chance, but even if you did deserve a second chance, when did you use that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you get salvation by faith um, in here. So that's good. Uh, but then, see the key thing there in this bad option. Uh, what's the what's what's the bad thing there that we just plopped down on on there, Jeff? You keep your salvation by works. Yeah, you keep your salvation by works. So you can even be talking with somebody from this perspective. And they will say to you, oh, yeah, salvation is by grace, by faith, grace alone and faith alone. Yeah, you got to you got to believe. Yeah, that's it. That's how you get in. But then you can say, well, can someone lose their salvation? They'll say, oh, yeah, you can. Well, how's that? Well, if you like walk away from Christ and, you know, th that you're not obeying, you know, enough. Um, so you keep your salvation by works once you get in. And so. Uh, what's your emotional, uh, personal state all the while you're a Christian until Jesus comes? Anxiety. That's the word. You live with anxiety because today I could sin the sin that could bump me out of the box. Or um, either it's too big of a sin or it's too many. I, on I only had 22 uh, get out of jail free cards on this one sin and I just did the 23rd today. So I'm out. And so you live with this anxiety. And so then what do you do when you're around other Christians? Pretend. Pretend and cover up. This is why churches have fake people in them. Because they have one box. 
They don't mean to be fake, but their theology has driven them to be fake. And so this is one of the things that freed me up so much when I went to seminary and came out of an evangelical environment and came into a Reformation theology environment where they understood two boxes. Justification is fully, freely by grace, by the election of God, and you can't change that. And the law is good and it directs our lives, and that has nothing to do with whether we stay in the justification box or not. And it had nothing to do with us getting in the justification box either. And so my complete emotional state for that first year in seminary and beyond was freedom. And and to, to hear classmates and seminary professors, you know, uh, you know, say, I remember Steve Brown saying to us once, you know, he was at a, a funeral in Miami and there, he was riding in the car and they were downtown in Miami and this girl walked across with this short red dress on and Steve Brown said, oh man, get me out of here. <laughs> but there's this freedom to admit sin nature, desire that's inappropriate, but he could admit that to all these Christians in the car because he knew his justification was not based on how well he was doing and on him not having lustful temptations. And it was not based on them judging him either. And also, too, his reaction of get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jim used to travel and listen to this guy on the radio when yeah. he talked about, you know, men who work and they go to a bar or yeah. whatever. And it was always flee, flee. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was like a running joke. And I mean, that's yeah. kind of the case there. Yeah. It's like, this is something I can't handle. Yeah. Get me out of here. Right. So, you know, uh, in some Christian circles, you couldn't even admit that. Yeah. Right. That I am being tempted. Because then the question is, ooh, is he really, everyone goes away and says, oh, are they really saved? They're having this temptation. But everyone else, you know, 80% of them are tempted by the same thing, but they won't admit it because it's part of their justification. And so so they they spend time deceiving, James 1, deceiving themselves, Looking looking holy. Deceiving themselves, deceiving fellow believers, and trying to deceive God. And this is why, again, in our church, when do we do our declaration of the gospel? Before the confession of faith. faith. It's to remind you, you can confess every single thing and you're okay. You don't, it's to remind you, this next time of confession that we're about to have, confessing your sins, you don't have to fool God. You don't have to hold back the worst sin, hoping that he didn't see it because your justification box doesn't include the law. And we've just proven that by the declaration of the gospel up above. And that's why we don't do it after. Uh, it's okay. Don't get mad when, when there's an assurance of uh, salvation after the confession. But, but it, 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 that can get turned into unintentionally a since you confessed work now you're forgiven see and you've turned confession into a work for your justification and it's not 
Your justification was when Jesus' sins were in his, when your sins were in Jesus' body on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's when your sins were forgiven. That's when your sins experienced the wrath of God. So you can confess anything, no matter how bad it is, because God knew about it before he elected you, before he created anything, before he made matter. Okay, uh, Matthew and then Jim, yeah. Let's go to your dad, and then maybe you'll remember. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah. So just to be clear, those who reside in this box. Yeah. Who just have one box and put law in it, or at least some law in it. Have saving faith, or do they? Yeah. Let's let's. We're talking about people who have saving faith. Yeah, and they're they're in this justification box, but they don't know that they're permanently there because they've included law. So they live a miserable life. They live a miserable life. Always thinking, I'm going to do something that you know, kicks me out. Yeah. Sounds more anxiety-inducing than being an unbeliever. Yes. And so this is what, you know, and Steve can speak to this to you a whole bunch, I bet. This is what leads to rebellion. An honestly saved person who, one, gets included in his church that law is a part of your justification. Law is a part of your salvation who then sees the hypocrisy of the people in the church who are claiming they're not sinning, who says, this is a bunch of bunk. Everybody's a fake. I'm out of here. Right? And that's especially true today where authenticity is very big among young people. Um, and so this causes sincere rebellion, leaving the church for 15 years among the truly saved who are saved during that 15 years. And, and, and they're, they're, they're bothered during that 15 years, but they've, they've seen this doesn't work. And everybody there is fake. And so, and so this is one of the things that's, you know, this is a two-box church, and this is why everybody, even people who come here once and don't come again, everybody says, Wow, everybody's so nice here. They get it. They get the sense. Nobody's pretending. Nobody's going up to them and saying, I go to Wednesday night this, and I go to Friday night this, and this, you know, and if, you're, if you come here, you'll be as good a Christian as I am. Right? And, and, and that's, that's the, you know, we experience here in this church what I experienced when I went to seminary. It's two-box theology. Whether you knew it was two-box theology or not, this is a place where you can say, man, I was, really, I was really a twit this week at work. We can say that here. And, and we say, oh, man, I really struggle with that too. You know, we talk about this without worrying about whether that means we're still a Christian because we don't have the command to not be a twit. That is a command. Don't be a twit. <laughs> we don't have the command not to be a twit in our justification box. 
That's in our sanctification box, and we're all working that out. We're just all being enabled more and more, right? Sanctification, enabled more and more, and we're all in different places in that, and God is working on different things in each one of us. Uh, some of us got, you know, honor your mother and father really good right from the get-go, from when we were in our early 20s, and we just never had an issue with it. Some of us, like like me, I had an issue with it till I was about 28, and then I saw what I was doing and repented, and then now I'm better at it. Other people are still working on it. But there were other things I was doing well in when I was 22 that other people weren't doing wrong. God is working each, on each of us in different things, and so we're gracious with each other because we realize that the things that each other are weak on, that's a part of our sanctification box. And that's not an issue of whether they believe or not. And, and this gives us great freedom. You know, we can we can even be free around, I, I love to be free around evangelicals who have law in their box and say to them things that will blow their categories. And what I mean is, I say second box things to them. They get worried for me and I communicate to them that I'm not worried because my just you know because I'm saved apart from works. Isn't that the good news I say to them? And they go, yeah. <laughs> they can't deny that, but I want them to feel uncomfortable with the fact that they put law in the justification box so that that gets worked out later, you know, in them. Um, and, and so because. I don't care whether someone thinks I'm a believer or not unless they're elders in the church and they're coming to me. And they're saying, John, we're not sure anymore based on the things you're doing and based on your attitude, based on your response to us. Then I'd be real worried because here are mature people saying, I'm not convinced that the Spirit of God is in you. Okay, then I'd be worried. Okay, um, yeah, Crystal and then Mallory, and then we'll close. Yeah. Um what you just said a minute ago that yeah. like you tell people that you're not worried because you don't have to keep salvation by yeah. the works. Yeah. Other than Ephesians two eight nine, there I'm sure there's lots of other yeah. scripture you would use. Do you have those scriptures written down that I can see access or whatever? Yeah, I could, I, I could give you a bunch. Yeah. Just come up here afterward. I'll just open my Bible and I'll Give you all my little cross references in there. He says almost exactly the same thing in Colossians. It's just we we Ephesians two is our go to, yeah. <laughs> but also Galatians three. You know, no one has ever been justified by works of the law. By the works of the law, no one will ever be justified. Um, good. And then Mallory. Uh, yeah, I just so last week I was with a friend, and she's Catholic. Yeah. So I went to her church with her, yeah. and they were very much a like law and justification. Yeah. And it was yeah. even anxiety-inducing for me because I felt like if I did something wrong, yeah. like they were looking down on me. Yeah. Like I went to go take communion, mm. and the person who gave it to me like kind of scoffed at me mm -hmm. as I grabbed it. And then, like, my friend was like, well, you should give that to me because people who aren't Catholic can't take it, the communion. Yeah. And it was just like, for me, I was like, this is so stressful. Mm -hmm. Like, 
Yeah. I just go to church and I sit there and I just listen yeah. to the word. And yeah. then that's, you know, I get yeah. to sit there and think about it. And yeah. He works in me. It's not like yeah. I'm doing anything yeah. to help my salvation along. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it was just very much like everything they did, there was like a response that the congregation was supposed to have. Mm. And there was like, so many parts of the worship that were just like thanking people and recognizing what people in the church were doing mm -hmm. and it was yeah. very much like i just i mean it's nice but it doesn't really matter mm -hmm. yeah. like, i don't i don't know it's like we don't need yeah. to be thanked for what yeah. we're doing for the church we just do it because you want to do it yeah and, and in Catholic theology, that is intentionally, they have intentionally put the law in the justification box. In Protestant theology, it's wound up there, and they didn't mean it to get there. And, you know, they again, they're like, you get in the justification box by faith. You know, it's hard to get a Protestant person, a non-Catholic person to say, justification is by faith and works. But in Catholicism, that's actually in their doctrine that it's faith plus works equals salvation. And that's why when you die, they've had to create purgatory because purgatory in their theology is a place they've made up so you can do more works to make up for the bad things you've done so that you, you can then go on to be, you know, full-fledged heaven uh, with Jesus. Okay. Um, so this is legalism. Justification depends on works. And so this is the position of... Uh, Bill, can you read this for us? Last line. <clears throat> the position of Arminian, Methodist, legalistic, dispensationalist, and charismatic churches. Okay. So all these churches believe you can lose your salvation. Okay. <laughs> so Arminian, that's not Armenian. Armenian is a Armenia is a country that used to be in the Soviet Union. But Arminian is the guy that hated Calvin uh, 60 years later. <laughs> Jacobus Arminius, and he was the one that the um, the Dutch theologians at Dort um, uh, spoke against. Uh, Arminius had five points against Calvin, and so guess what the the people the uh, Calvinists at Dort responded with? Five points of Calvinism. Okay, so Calvin didn't come up with those. Those were just, Arminius came up with those, but in the opposite direction. And so the Dutch theologians, and those are all great five points. It's the tulip there. It's just, it's their response to Arminius. But Arminius said, you get in, but then you can lose your salvation through your bad works or through your sin. Um, Methodism comes out of this. Um, so Methodists, um, uh, dispensationalists, we talked about last week, there are grace, grace dispensationalists. And then there are legalistic dispensationalists. And so legalistic dispensationalists say you can lose your salvation. And then charismatic churches are emotional Methodists. And so they're, I mean, they've cut, that's, that's their lineage. So, so you had the Church of England uh, uh, start having small groups under John and Charles Wesley. And when John Wesley died, they just turned those small groups into the Methodist church. And then out of the Methodist church came charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches. In the, so that was 1700s was uh, 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 Methodism. Uh, John, John Wesley dies in like 1781. 
Um, and then a Methodist church that started in like 1783, something like that. Even though he pleaded with his people, don't start a new denomination, just stay in the Anglican church. Uh, but as soon as he dies, they created the Methodist church. Um, and then in the 18, mid 1800s and early 1900s, you get charismatic Pentecostal stuff coming out of uh, Methodism there. Um, we're two minutes from worship. Let's pray. <laughs>